Father, again, we just thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, to Father, to know this morning that apart from you, we are nothing. Father, we need you. Father, there's a song that say we need you every hour, but the bottom line is we need you every second. We need you at every part of our lives, every aspect, Father. And I pray this morning as we look into your word, I pray that we would have a great understanding of exactly how great your love is and how we as believers are supposed to respond to your love. And we thank you and we praise you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world where Christianity is being questioned on a regular basis. The question for us this morning is, what does a Christian look like? How are my actions as it lines up with scripture? Am I generally born again? Those claiming to be Christians too often think and act just as the world does. We may claim to believe in Jesus in the Bible, but sometimes our lives don't back up these claims. John addressed this issue, and he indicated that being a Christian is doing what is right, regardless of circumstances, locations, or even feelings. John is very clear that being a Christian means doing what is right. A true believer practices righteousness. Right living is a mark of a Christ follower. Some of you may have heard of the cartoon series called Theo, but in the cartoon Theo, there's a small child that gazed up into the eyes of his father and asked, Dad, what is a Christian? To this question, the father replied, a Christian is a person who loves and obeys God. He loves his friends and neighbors and even his enemies. He prays often. He is kind, gentle, holy, and more interested in going to heaven than in earthly riches. That son is a Christian. That is a Christian. The boy looked reflective for a moment and then asked, have I ever seen one? The father in the cartoon gave a good answer to his son, didn't he? Wouldn't you say? He emphasized the love of God and our love for others, even our enemies and afflictors. He also emphasized communication with the father, seeking the, the kingdom of heaven first and displaying the fruit of spirit of one's life. It was not a bad answer. But imagine the father's shock when the son asked if he had ever actually seen such a person. Is it possible that the cartoon suggests that we sometimes talk a good talk, but we don't walk the good walk? You see, even as I was thinking about this and just something even this morning, as I was there and my daughter was sitting next to me, I noticed that she would always, as I gazed down a little bit, she would always point to a friend and point to me. And I thought to myself, what a good example, because that's, what, that's, that's a good example to think about, because you know what? Our kids are looking up to us. And not even just our blood kids, but the kids we have in junior church, whether you're their mother, father, grandfather, whatever, you're setting an example for what these kids look up to. And it just was a, a great, even as I was thinking, um, just thought about that, and it's like, wow, you know, because... Again, she just kept on, you know, looking up and telling her friend, I thought, wow, that's what we're talking about. What's such an example? If someone were to come to you and ask you for a description of a Christian, would you be able to tell them? Or better yet, would you be able to show them? This morning we will look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And I'm going to read through the passage and then we're going to just break it down with four points. And it said to see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And when and what will we 
B has not yet appeared. But we know that when it appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who does hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one abides in him, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices rightness is righteous, and he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, but the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God had to appear was to destroy the works of the devil. No one of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. In verse 10, by this it is evident who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Our first point we're going to look at this morning is this. Believers bear the Father's name. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. As we see in the first two chapters of 1 John, it deals with fellowship with God. And the last three is an emphasis made on us as his children. This truth is something that we should just hit us to the core as we think of the significance of being called a child of God. Is it just a name that's on your birth certificate, as in my case, was the Rogers family name? No, you belong to a significant spiritual family that will go on forever and ever, which is better than any last name you could ever have because you represent Jesus Christ. You are called his child. And so many times I think that we lose this love. We lose the thought that God, the great God of this universe, sent his son to die for us. We're going to reflect on that and imagine the love that he showed to us. You see, his love wasn't based on anything that we did, but it all depended on his sacrifice on the cross. Again, as we will reflect on this morning. Romans 5, in a verse that we all know, and it was so great to see some of our Awana Clubbers being um, baptized this morning, and I know scripture memory is such a great thing, but this is one of the key verses that they learned, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love toward us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What an important verse for us to understand, because we have to make, us, make sure we understand this, that God didn't just say, you know what, get things right with me, and then I'm going to come and die for you. No, no, he said, but God demonstrates his love toward us while we were still what? His enemies. We wanted nothing to do with him. But he wanted everything to do with us. Let me ask you a question. How easy it is to love someone who doesn't love you back? It's not easy. It's very difficult. But that's what God did on the cross. Romans 5 uses four other words as we think about this. When we were powerless to change our ways, Christ came for us. Although we were ungodly, Christ loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we were God's enemies, Christ reconciled us to God. This is love that Christ is talking about. A love that me and you will never comprehend because we can't imagine why a great God would look on us, the sinners of this world, those who want nothing to do with him, but yet he initiates this relationship with us. It doesn't depend on us. Because if it depended on any of us, you know what? We would never be good enough for this relationship. We can never get there. We can never reach that standard. 
And you know, some of you this morning may think to yourself and say, you know what, Nicholas, I'm not a bad person. I'm pretty good. I come to church. Um, you know, I'm here now. I'm here right now, so I'm at church, you know, so, you know, I'm a good person. You know, I, I give offering. I give money to the poor. I give all these things. But you want to see who you truly are? Look at Romans 3. Chapter 9, verse 12 says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Think about that. Again, we are reminded that none of us seek God. None of us are good. None of us can say that we have arrived. None of us can say that we have it all together. We all struggle with the same problem, and that is sin. You ever understand, you ever recognize when you have a kid that you never have to teach him how to sin? You don't. They come out the womb like that. They know sin. And almost the first word any child learns is because you know why they hear it so much? It's no. Because we tell them, no, don't do this. You see, we're bad people. We're no good. But God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. The significance of this as well as a genuine believer is that the old self must die and we may become a new creature in Christ. This doesn't mean that one is perfect, but this means that one must be different in the world. You see, we must understand that all men are created by God, but not all men are children of God. When we as believers come to the reality of Christ has done in our lives, the only response we should have is worship. The second part of the verse talks about us in the sense of the world does not know us or him. You see, we must recognize that we will never fit into the world's model of life. The world should always look at us the wrong way. And our goal is not to fit in to this world, but we are aliens as it relates to the world. You see, we have to recognize the one that we are, God's children, for us who have placed genuine faith in Christ. He lavishes love on us. His divine grace adopted us into his family, and by the miracle of new birth, we have been born again. Again, as I said, we don't bear the name Rogers or whatever your last name is anymore. We bear his name. We are his bearers. We are Christ bearers. We are those who represent him. The question is, what are you doing to represent? And I'm sure all of us in this room at one time or the other have been said, you look like your mom or your dad or your aunt or uncle, whoever it may be. But you know what? We shouldn't want to look like our aunt, uncle, father, mother, whoever. We should want to look like Christ. That's who we should strive to be like. That is our example. That is who we want to look like. Yes, we're not going to look like him physically. But as we go throughout our conduct, as we go throughout our everyday life, people should see Christ in us and wonder, what is wrong with you? And you can tell him, look, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just that I've been changed from this world. I have been changed from darkness into light. And I'm different than what the world has to offer. Again, how can we relate living as it comes to the Father? Verse 6 tells us this as well. We abide in him. It's clear that one abides in him. There's no way he can continue in a life of sin. When we abide in the Father, our sin will not stop completely, but the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin. In return, we will live a life that is pleasing to the Father. 
You see, too many times in our lives we think that we come to Christ because we want that fire insurance. Because you know what? No one wants to go to hell. So we say, you know what? I, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to come in a relationship with Jesus Christ because, you know what? With that, I have that big-time fire insurance. But you see, the relationship with Jesus Christ is so much more than a fire insurance. It's about a life change. It's about a life change that says, you know what? I have come from living in this world, but now I'm living for him, and I represent him. So we as believers bear the Father's name. The second point is believers are certain of Jesus' return. 1 John 3, 2 said, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who does hopes in him purifies him as he is pure. Before we look at the certainty of Christ's return, we see in this verse that it's clear that there was a time that we were not his children. We must then look at our lives and ask ourselves this question, what has changed before Christ to what has changed that we come after Christ? When we became a part of his family, has anything in our lives changed? Or are we just going through the motions? Are we just, you know, doing the things that we think a, a believer should do? question is, am I a good representation of Christ? And I think of Brother Tommy is up here, and I think of a quote or a story that Brother Tommy always talks about, and I'm sure you have heard it, but I think that it will really bring a point to our minds and ask ourselves this question. And he talks about the scene at a courtroom, and if you're put on trial for being a Christian, would you be found guilty? And it's sad to say sometimes I think that a lot of people would question whether or not those who say they're Christians are truly or they act the way that they should. There's one thing that we know for sure that Christ is coming back. But we none of us know exactly when it is. When we look at the world around us, this is the only thing that we can put our hope in. Because we know that one day Christ will return for us and this is the hope that we hold on to. What does Jesus' return have to do with living right? Well, the question, the answer to that question is this. I want you to imagine for a second that you're on your job. And you know that the boss is coming in this time, this day, and he's coming to do an inspection on, your, on what you're doing to make sure you're doing all the tasks that you're supposed to do, making sure your desk is tidy. And please don't go in my office right now because my desk isn't tidy. But... Um, you know, but they, someone said that when your desk is not tidy, that means you actually work. So I don't know how to relate that. But um, anyway, I, I, don't, I, never have a dirt, I never have a clean desk, so I must always, you know, that's my, my problem. But I want you to imagine and ask yourself this question. If you know he's coming, the boss is coming, what are you going to do? Well, number one, you're going to clean up. Number two, you're going to make sure that you're working really hard, especially if you know he's coming at... 3 o'clock or whatever, you can say 2.55, let me go do what I got to do, make sure I'm, I, I'm busy, you know, because we don't want him to just be, we don't want to be just sitting there waiting on him to come because he'll say, well, what you been doing all day? So we want to make sure we're busy. You see, we would make sure that it's showing like we're working. It's showing like we're giving 100%. We want to show the company that, you know what, it's no question whether or not so-and-so works. He gives 100%. You see, when it comes to our the reality that we never know when Christ is coming back, that is how we should be. Because we never know when Christ is coming back. He could come back right now. The question for us this morning as an unbeliever is this. Do you know him? 
If he had to come back now, where would you spend eternity? But for us as a believer, as we think of living right, this should be our motivation as we think of we never know the last time we'll be able to share our faith with somebody else. We never know the last time that we will be a good representation of Christ because we have to understand that right now we don't know exactly when he's coming back. This should motivate us. I'll give you an example to think about. As we all know, um, this year was Kobe Bryant's last NBA season, right? And we, I know we have some Laker fans there. I'm not a Laker fan, so I'm not going to say anything bad because I just don't like the Lakers. But, um, <laughs> but the bottom line is this. People were motivated to go see Kobe's last game or to see Kobe for one last time. We had some people who traveled from overseas to come in and follow him into every game. Wherever he went, they was there every game. They made sure they get tickets. Are we that excited when it comes to Christ? Because we need to understand something that we never know the last time. We never know when Christ is coming back. We got to be prepared. There are many Christians when you ask the, where do they want to be when Christ returns, and many people would say, "Well, I want to be a church or somewhere worshiping the Lord." But when we think of all of our lives as supposed to be about worship, then we wouldn't have no concern when he is coming back. But we'd be prepared, ready, with no regrets, no matter when he came back. Because we should be living every day as our last day. Because we want to make sure that whenever Christ comes back, we're doing all we can for him. How can we be ready for Christ's return? We purify ourselves. A believer must recognize that they never have arrived to their full potential in their walk with Christ. The Apostle Paul states in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14, he says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or I am ready or perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal, the prize, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You see, Paul recognized that no matter what happened in this life, he wanted to achieve whatever it was that God wanted him to achieve. He recognized that he was not perfect. He needed to continue to strive to be like Christ. And I think sometimes as believers, we think that we look better than Bob in the pew or Jane, or Sue, or wherever, we look at someone in the pew and think, I'm better than them. But the reality is, we're not supposed to compare ourselves with anyone in the pew. We're not supposed to compare ourselves with anyone up here. We're supposed to compare ourselves to the Almighty God. A standard that none of us can ever say that we have arrived to. None of us. Nobody can say that I've done enough for God. Because we know what Christ did for us. We can't go on our past achievements and think, well, I did all this for God. But it says that we have to look ahead. We have to press on. We have to try to do everything we can for God. Don't look at what we've already achieved, but keep pressing on to achieve more greatness for God. You see, I think sometimes we get caught up in the trophies. We get caught up in the 
you know, these different things that we think, you know what, I've done enough. I'm going to let someone else do that. You know what, you can never outgive or outdo God. God wants us to apply ourselves to him. God wants us to say, you know what, I want you to continue to do for me. Because you know what, there's none of us in this room who are going to get perfect. There's none of us who's going to obtain the status the same as God and say, you know what, I've arrived. None of us. We have to keep striving every day. And I don't know if you're, I'm sure everyone is like me. It's not an easy road. And this is why we have to place our faith and hope in God. Thirdly, believers understand the reason for Jesus' death. Christ's death wasn't just an ordinary death, but a death that took away our sins. 1 John 3, 4 to 5 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. You see, Christ came to take away our sins. The one who had the general relationship in Jesus Christ will not continue to sin, but rather they will be set apart. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He died to set us apart or sanctify us from the world. Also, Romans 6.5-11 says this, For if we have been united with him in death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ is being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive in Christ. You see, the day that we accepted Christ as our Savior and we said, I want to turn away from all the worldly things, the old self, we have become new. And see, a new person, there has to be changes. Can you imagine for a second the day that your, your child is born and they stay the same the whole time? That's not how a baby operates. A baby grows. It's just like us as believers. We are to grow in our faith every single day. Christ came to set us free from sin. In chapter 6, it talks about and continues to talk about that we are no longer sin, slaves to sin, but we are actually slaves to righteousness. You see, it's been a change. It should be a change because Christ's death came and he died for our sins, to take away our sins. Now, does that mean that we have a license to sin? No. Ephesians 5, 25, 27, and this is a verse that's normally used for when we talk about husband and wives, but that we can see that God wants us to be purified. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And no husband likes to hear that, because it's a hard thing. But anyway, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. You see, Christ gave himself up for the church that he might set it apart from the world. He wants it to be different. He wants it to be without spot and not be entangled with anything else in this word. Again, the question comes up, does this mean that we will never sin? And the answer is no. 
Does it mean that one can lose their salvation? No. What does it mean then? It means that we must not be habitual sinner, that we must not always continue to sin. One that sins without thought and continues to fall into the same trap over and over. As we saw in, in 1 John 3, 6, it said we must abide in him. Stay connected to the source. You see, Christ is our source, and the only way we're going to do anything to change is if we're connected to him. That's the only way anything's going to change. Charles Spurgeon said this, The Bible often calls a man righteous, but that does not mean that he is perfectly righteous. It calls a man a sinner, but does not imply that he may not have done some good deeds in his life. It means that the man's general character. So with the man who abides in Christ, his general character is not that he is a sinner, but that he is a saint. As we think of 1 John 3.8, it says this, Whoever makes a practice of sin is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You see, Christ's death paid the price to take away our sins and to defeat Satan and his works after the resurrection. You see, that is why what we're going to do later on to remember Christ's death, we should have, and I think sometimes we come to the communion table and we think, I'm doing this again. Like it's a thing that we just throw on the side and we do it every first um, Sunday of the month, so let's do it. No, no, we need a new appreciation because we need to recognize that Christ's death took away, paid the price for our sins, and because of this, we can live in the newness of life. We can live differently because of what Christ did, his love for us. Again, as I said at the beginning, he initiated this love. We didn't want nothing to do with him. No man wants to do good apart from Christ. Which brings us to our last point. Believers reveal a new nature. 1 John 3, 9, 10 says this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 10, by this it is evident that you are children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does love, not love his brother. You see, God's seed is the new nature that is within us. The new life that has been imparted to us when we became children of God. The seed is a beautiful word picture that helps us to, to understand the Christian life as we plant a seed and we see a plant grow. It's how we as believers are supposed to be growing every single day of our lives. It's how we are supposed to understand exactly how we are supposed to live. It takes time, cultivation, water, and sunshine for a, a plant to grow. It takes for our believer time for us to study God's word, spend time in prayer, spend time telling us about Christ. This is what we're supposed to be doing as believers. So how, do, how is the new nature revealed? Well, we feed the new nature. And this is a, a story of a, a converted Native American who explained it like this. I have two dogs living in me, a mean dog and a good dog. They are always fighting. The mean dog wants me to do bad things, and the good dog wants me to do good things. Do you want to, do, do you want to know which dog wins? The one I feed the most. You see, in us... We have a sin nature. The question for us is, how are we going to conquer that sin nature? How are we going to, you know, feed the new nature? 
but it goes back to studying God's word. It goes back to spending time praying. You see, I can't expect to be growing in my faith if the only time I take my Bible or even look at a verse is when I come to church on Sunday when the pastor's preaching. It has to be a daily thing. It has to be something that I apply myself to. I want you to imagine for a second, I know we have a lot of parents in the room. And education is something that parents love um, to make sure their kids are doing well. You know, they want them to do the best because they want a scholarship, they want to do all these sort of things. But let me ask this question. What are, your, what are, the, what are your kids seeing in you? Are they seeing you study the book that matters the most? Or are we just about telling them to study the science, the history, and all these other things? Or do they see you studying God's word? And know what studying looks like because they see you intently studying God's word, writing things out. You see, I think sometimes we let education get in the way of what truly matters, and that is the word, and how we should live our lives. A Christian who feeds a new nature from God's word will always have the power to live rightly. This is why reading the Bible, praying, and church attendance and all other spiritual disciplines are so important. Through these practices, we feed a new nature. We grow. We mature. We become more Christ-like. And the byproduct is that we live right. If you starve your sin nature, it will not be as big of a problem. So how do we apply this today? If you bear the Father's name, live like it. No one wants to be the reason that no one wants to become part of the family of God because of the way they see your life or my life. Be Christ's bearer. Secondly, Jesus can return at any time. So live in a way that we, could, that we believe that. That we don't want to be caught doing something that we know we shouldn't be doing. But that we should be striving to be like Christ every single day of our lives. Thirdly, star, starve the old nature and feed the new nature. And last, as we come before the Lord's table, let us remember that Jesus died to take away our sins. Not just to cover it up, but to take it away. And because of this, we now have been crucified with him. Not now that I live, but that he lives in me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Father. We thank you for all that you have done for us. And Father, I pray this morning, even now, as we go into the Lord's table, that we would recognize again the appreciation of your love. And recognize, Father, that it is nothing that we did to deserve this love. But it's all that you have done on the cross. And Father, we know this morning that we don't worship a dead king, but we worship a risen king. And Father, I pray that because of this, we have hope in this world. And that we would recognize because of this, we can live right. Because we know exactly how we are to live. Because your word tells us that we are supposed to put away and, and starve us in nature and feed the new nature. Father, we pray that you continue to be with us in this service, that you'll get all honor, glory, and praise. And thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.